1: guys, and welcome back to Ladies Who Law School Podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Sam. And this week's episode is about life outside of the law firm. We talk with Julie Cromer Young from the Bryce Legal Team about working in academia and how she got there. This is a great episode for anyone who is interested in going to a T14, not just any T14, but Harvard, and maybe you're trying to decide where to go and maybe even just have the confidence to apply to a T14. But with all that being said, what do you say, Samantha? Let's dive in. Please help me welcome our guest, Miss Julie Cromer-Young. Hi, Julie. How are you doing today? Hi, good. How are you? We're hanging in there. (laughs) So, Julie, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay. Well, I um, have been out of law school for a long time, but I went to the University of Alabama undergrad. And uh, then after I graduated with a degree in uh, diplomacy, I went to Harvard for law school. How was that? (laughs) (laughs) you know it it, when you're in it it's law school right I didn't know any different and so it was in retrospect there were a lot of great opportunities um, that I and when I was there a lot of great opportunities my uh my professors and my classmates were all just amazing people and it was a, a very very intellectually stimulating environment
0: so, when you were deciding on going to law schools, did you just apply to Harvard, or did you apply to a bunch? Like, kind, how did you make that decision?
2: I applied to. Um, I, I had a few schools um, when I first was applying. I thought, well, I'm never going to get into a top tier school, and uh, I went to one of the big law school fairs and 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 I stopped by. I think it was a Harvard table, and they said, "Well, you never know, right? Apply and." So I thought, okay, I wanted to do international law at the time. And so I picked ones that I thought had good international law programs. And then as I didn't hear anything, I got nervous and applied to one more and applied to one more and turned out that I got in, um, got into a number of places. So I was very happy about that.
1: I mean, I feel like it's a trick question to say, why did you pick Harvard? You know, I'm sure we're all like, duh, but why did you pick?
2: Well, when I, um, and it, and it was a choice. I had a couple of the other schools that I was really emotionally committed to. Um, and I, I received the the go from Harvard a little bit later in the game. But I was very drawn to I was committed to doing at the time, again, international law. And I had my degree in diplomacy and just the international reputation of Harvard alone, I thought would really help in terms of networking, in terms of being able to go out and establish myself as an international lawyer. I took a course in international law and, and really didn't like it. So I then was kind of um, in a quandary. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tell us uh, about your law school experience. What were some of,
1: you know, your biggest accomplishments and some of your biggest
2: struggles? I think the struggles are the same that most students have. I was the first lawyer in my family and I didn't really get law school right away. And I think ultimately... I was, I was interested in pursuing a career as um, in the diplomatic corps, and I probably could have done that without going to law school. And so I didn't really understand how law school fit into what I wanted to do. So um, and plus I went through straight through and it's not impossible to go straight through. But one of the things I always recommend to people who are considering law school is that they take a year off first, just to give themselves some context going to law school, because um, to, you know, say a phrase that professors like to say, law school, does, the law does not exist in a void, right? Um, but that really plays out when you're in law school and you're trying to think about when you've seen a tort or what contracts you have signed.
0: So what would be your top tip for any law student
2: right now? That, any tip that you can think of? The one tip that I really have is pay attention to legal writing. And law school and Lawyering and everything that you do that has to do with the law is so much easier if you have the legal writing um, internalized and and really down. Um, it really is the the path to thinking like a lawyer um, is getting everything into that structure. And I really myself, I never understood Iraq as a student, and now um, I don't understand what I was missing when I look back at it so one thing that I can say will help law students in their career um for uh as lawyers and as law students is to really dig in on the legal writing snaps for that I can't agree more
1: (laughs) so tell us what was your first job out of law school
2: so out of law school, I um, did my 2L summer at what was then Cat and Mushin Rose, Cat and Mushin and Zavis. And now it's, I think, Cat and Mushin Rosenman. Uh, and that was in Chicago. And they asked me to come back as a first year associate. And so that's what I did was went straight in um, to the litigation department at Kattenmution. What kind of things did you work on? Well, right away, I did a lot in my summer associate. i made the most of it because I still wasn't sure then I was kind of casting around to what I wanted to do. When you have one thing that you know you want to do all your like leading up to law school, and then you realize you don't really want to do that, then um, you're it felt little fish out of the water, and so I tried to work with lots of practice groups, get lots of different assignments at that level. When I got into litigation, which I never thought I was going to go into in law school, um, it was a lot of basic um, write write a complaint. Write a memo. Do this research memorandum. Yeah. Look up this this standard. Um, put together. Uh, review these documents. Put together some discovery. Uh, everything that a junior associate can expect to do <laughs> in litigation. So,
0: how did you move from that career? Right? How long were you there? Did you have another lawyer job before
2: you started advising law students? So the subject matter that I landed on was intellectual property. I really enjoyed trademark work. I had the interesting path of becoming very interested in intellectual property at the very same time the internet was kind of coming into itself. And so when I started it, everybody intellectual property was offered as a niche practice that um, was kind of adjacent to litigation, which at the time was fine with me. That's really what I wanted to do. But then as I was practicing, everybody wanted to do intellectual property. All the associates did as well. And so... Um, and the firms really didn't know what to do with it. And so I ended up at four different law firms in my associate career, spending about um, a year and a half to uh, two years at each one. And they were all pretty large law firms, but each of them had a different approach to how to handle um, intellectual property. One had um, one didn't have a department and wanted to lump it in with litigation. Um, the next had... A department that the, the partners all left as soon as I got there. Um, and then the third had um, made you sub specialize And so you had to be not only a trademark attorney, but you had to be a trademark international prosecution attorney. Um, and so it was and, and so it was very challenging at the time to figure out which one of those was a good fit for me. And so I finally decided to leave. I just left my third law firm. And uh, some a friend of mine asked, well, are you happy? And I said, sure, I'm very content. And he said, uh, do you realize you didn't just answer the question? And I thought, I am never talking about this with lawyers again. Mm-hmm. But it really challenged me to think, okay, well, is law firm life The right path for me? Is this the right thing that I need to be doing at this time? And I decided no, it really wasn't. Um, I wanted to have something with a little bit, I had never seen myself as a business litigator, which is what basically you were as an IP attorney. Um, And I um, really wanted to go into something where I had more of an immediate impact. And that's when I decided to switch into becoming a law professor instead of being a, um, on the law practice side. That's super cool. So can we talk about
1: law firms really quick? Cause I know you worked in some of the biggest law firms that there are. And so whenever we are students out there and we hear big law,
2: what exactly does that mean? So, Big law has uh, different meanings, I think, for different things. What I have always associated with big law, I think what most people associate is basically Amlaw 100, which are the top 100 grossing law firms in the United States. Um, And so, um, and I think that's kind of the traditional uh, meaning of it. But I think that, it can differ market to market as well. Um, when I had my first year summer associate position, I went back to my hometown of Memphis and I worked in the largest law firm at the time. And so I'm not sure it would be considered big law necessarily, but it was. Um, it was a. Law firm of eighty attorneys, again at the time, and that was the biggest. That was the biggest firm in town. Um, It's not anymore the biggest, but at the time it was. So, but I think understanding that it is a firm of um, higher quality clients, very mostly corporate clients, um, a lot of offices, um, both uh, across the country and internationally. Also, a lot of attorneys who. Um, a lot of different practice areas, kind of a good one stop shop for anything legal that you need with extraordinary, I mean, not extraordinarily high, but with higher billing rates and comparably higher salaries as well. So, yeah. So you can kind of tell a big law
1: firm what you consider, I'm using air quotes, big law. You yeah. know, if they have multiple locations, like you said, across the United States, internationally, the size of the firm in, in, is how many lawyers that they have. Those are some things to look for.
2: That's pretty much what I think people associate. But again, I think when you say big law, it could mean very different things to different yeah. people, depending on where in the United you States you are. Yeah, that, yeah, we've definitely learned
1: that. Okay, so let's talk about life outside of the law firm. You said that you decided to make a career change after being a business litigator and going from different firms and how they handled IP law. So when did you first make the change? Like how many years have you been practicing in? What was that like initially?
2: I was in my seventh year at that point um, as an associate, when I decided to leave the law firm practice. And so um, it, and I was looking at the time um, because I just knew that something needed to change. I felt like I was um, spinning my wheels in law firm practice. And so I didn't know if it was the um, geographic area. Um, I'd been practicing in Chicago, which I love Chicago, um, but I didn't know if it was not a good fit for me. Um, I didn't know if maybe I needed to go in-house and do something in the corporate setting. But really, um, when somebody approached me, I, I went back to take some courses in intellectual property law. Um, I had litigation has uptimes and downtimes and I had a bit of a downtime. So I went and took a course during that. Um, And I really was drawn to the academic environment. And the um, professor at the time was said, why are you taking this course? You could be teaching this course. And I thought, Oh, that's an interesting concept. So um, then she uh, was the person who to, uh, put me on to uh, AALS, which is the Association of American Law Schools, um, which gives you how to become a professor, um, step-by-step instructions now. Um, and, it is, um, and it was really an eye-opener for me. And that's when I decided that maybe that's what I needed to be doing instead. And, and I pursued it. It's a difficult path to get into. Um, but it was also one that I felt very committed to once I got there. So you moved into it and you felt really committed.
1: I think that tell me more and tell us more about being in that class and thinking, oh, wow, like you're right. I could teach this. I mean, I feel like that was kind of a light bulb moment. And what was that transition like whenever you first started teaching? You know, what was your first class like? Was it, did you feel empowered?
2: It's, it's nerve wracking, honestly, because then um, when I first set foot into a classroom, I was um, you know, part of me was thinking, do they know I've never done this before, you know, but then you realize my first class I taught was civil procedure. Um, and so me versus 110 1L students. And (laughs) I put a lot of thought into how I was going to teach the class, what I was going to teach the class. Um, you have a lot of prepare, um, preparation time in, in that. And so, um, and I don't know that I felt empowered necessarily, but I've heard some people say that their feet tingle when they get into a courtroom. My feet tingled when I got into a classroom. I just really felt that that was where I met was meant to be at that moment. So
0: we'll be right back. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to talk about something that has been a game changer for us busy lawyers audible. Yes.
1: Yes. Audible has been our go-to platform for incredible audiobooks, offering an extensive library of thrillers, nonfiction, autobiographies,
0: and mysteries. And guess what? We've got a special treat for you. Audible is offering a free trial to our listeners, and all you need to do is check the link in the show notes. It's the perfect opportunity to experience the magic of audiobooks without spending a dime.
1: Speaking of thrillers, I know you're currently hooked on Never Lie by Frida McFadden. Samantha, can you tell us a little bit about it?
0: Absolutely. The twists and turns in Never Lie have kept me on the edge of my seat during the workday and even when I'm on my daily walks. It's like having a suspenseful companion wherever I go.
1: And for those looking for some financial wisdom, I have been engrossed in My Money My Way by Kamuku Love. It's packed with practical advice on managing finances, perfect for anyone trying to navigate the complexities of money management.
0: What we love most is the flexibility Audible offers. As lawyers, our schedules can be unpredictable, but with Audible, we can enjoy our favorite books on the go whether we're stuck in traffic, hitting the gym, or waiting for a court hearing.
1: So, if you're ready to embark on a literary journey and discover the joys of audiobooks, click the link in the show notes to start your free trial with Audible. Trust us, you won't want to miss out on this fantastic offer. That's really cool. I'm sure so many people will be out there and saying like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. So, but really we're all wondering, like, how does it feel to be, like you said, it was kind of nerve wracking, but what was your first semester teaching civil procedure? And, you know, what are things that you think about as a professor?
2: You know, we want to know the ins and outs of what you think. (laughs) I don't know if I can give away too many trade secrets without, (laughs) um, without being, um, unpopular among other professors, but uh, honestly, um, you know, one of the things you really do have to learn to think on your feet very quickly. Um, and if you weren't already accustomed to it, then because somebody could ask a question and, um, you're dealing, um, not dealing with that sounds negative. Um, but you're, you're teaching a room full of adults who are very intelligent, right? Everybody yeah. is intelligent who goes to law school. Everybody is very driven. Um, your students could have picked up something from the case that you totally missed. And yeah. um, and so it's really, honestly, very humbling. That still happens to me. Um, and it's a humbling experience because you are thinking, wow. Um, and it's really, I think, necessary to have that kind of genuine give and take, Um in terms of what you get out of the cases and the case law and the rules and things. Um, and I think that's, and that kind of level of a critical thinking is very important to impart into lawyers at a very early stage because that's what the American legal system is based on. So I, I can tell you my, my first year students would say that they knew I had a system because if I wasn't sure of the answer for something, I would call on two other people and then pick the answer I liked the best. So, um, that was, that. <laughs> um, which is what their perception was. It wasn't necessarily what was happening, but I was always a big fan of Socratic dialogue um, because I do think that lovely. having that back and forth is so important. And it's something that not a lot of people are, um, are used to right away in um, coming from undergrad when they've been sitting in large lecture halls. So, yeah.
0: So from a professor's perspective, what makes a good cold call? You know, like, what do you expect from students when, if it was ideal, right? What would be like a perfect, you know, way to approach, let's say, if you ask for a case, mm-hmm. just like the bare
2: bones or? Um, one of the things and that I can say as a professor and to be honest, I'm not sure I got this when I was a student. Um, so this is after years on the other side. You know, we don't want you parroting back the book brief to us, right? Or the um, whatever the Notes version of, um, of the case is. Um, because that doesn't show anything. Um, I'm always going to know um, whether or not you thought about the material when I say, well, did you agree with this opinion and why or why not? Um, and what do you think? Um, so something that the, the canned briefs aren't necessarily going to tell you, right? Um, that, um, y- you know, you can go and look up the party names and the year and the jurisdiction, wherever you are in the procedural history, but you need to know why the different aspects of things are important. And I think professors are looking for is that not just that you can stand up and recite the, you know, all of the facts verbatim of the case. Right. Um, but that you've just actually had a chance to think about it, interact with it in your mind and be able to apply it to what's going on right then in the class. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, the author of the textbook included that case for some reason. What was that reason? Absolutely.
1: So you currently work at Bryce Legal. Yes. When did you get started with that? And was that kind
2: of something that just felt natural to come along with teaching? My transition to Bryce Legal actually tra- um, ties in a bunch of my previous career together because... My um in 2016, um my husband retired from his career um in the Marine Corps as a JAG. Um so and he um got a fantastic opportunity to do his dream job, which was to be a Foreign Service officer, which you know coincidentally was what I had gone to college to do in the first place. So um, I it was um, a decision on our family that this was something that was important to us and that we were going to um, pursue, but that meant that I wasn't going to be a professor full time if I was going to be also um, going around the world. So, and so that we made that decision together to um, to move into that. But one of the things that they don't tell you after, you know, doing this, it's, it's not just, um, when you step away from a career like that, it's, it's a piece of your identity. I guess I had been a lawyer or a professor or both since my, since graduating from law school 20 years prior. And it's not that it it was like a piece of your identity had been left behind. And so One of the things that I did um, to try to figure out what my next step was, um, because I did not, I felt that I needed to still be moving forward in the right direction, in some direction. And I called my classmate um, from Harvard, uh, Shauna Bryce who had written a book about career, you know, legal careers and the next steps in legal careers and legal resumes. And um, and I kind of talked with her and she's a friend, right? And I talked with her about everything. And um, after a while, she said, well, I've got, um, you know, a solution for you. And, um, and asked me to join because of the... When you're a professor, you don't just professor, you're guiding law students the entire way. Um, I always took it very much a part of my job to advise students in their career aspirations um, just from one year on. But also, you know, I had the firm experience. I had um, vicariously, I had some government and my t- military experience through my husband. I uh, thought that maybe that was a really good opportunity to kind of share what I knew as, as, as somebody who had been giving advice for that long in a different way perspective to Most um, m- most of the people that I advise are um, junior and mid-level attorneys, but I do also advise law students and kind of try to help them see what career paths are out there. So.
0: so let's say a student, they're in law school, they're a 3L, and now they're deciding, you know what, I don't think the law firm life is for me. Um, what would you say are some options for, you know, you're going to obviously finish out law school if you're at this point, probably. So what are some career paths that people can take if the law firm life is just not for them?
2: Well, if the law firm life is not for you and you're pretty certain about that, there are other ways that you can go. Um, For one thing, I would very strongly recommend government. There are so many different governmental paths in terms of uh, you've, you've got federal government jobs and federal agency jobs, but every state has their own government with government agencies as well. Um, there are prosecutors on the federal, state, county, city, municipality level, all the way up and down. And then for every prosecutor, prosecutor there's also a defense attorney, right? Um, so there are lots of public defenders and um, that are not within the law um, firm AMBIT. Uh, there's also specialty uh, specialty groups within that, for example, juvenile justice is another specialty. Um, if you, um, there are courts to be clerked for, you don't have to be intending to go into litigation to clerk, um, even though, you know, it, it does help set you up, but, Um, if that's what you want to do, but there are also career clerks that uh, can just go work for courts um, as well. Um, You don't see it too often that people go straight in-house from law school, but it can happen. Um, And mostly um, when I've heard it happen is kind of the same Um, way that I ended up at Bryce Legal is that you're talking to somebody and um, they say, oh, well, um, I need a lawyer and we're opening this venture. And wouldn't it be great if you came and did this? And it takes um, somebody who has got a lot of guts and entrepreneurial spirit, but it can be done. Um, There are some other ways to do entry level work with uh, corporations. Um, I've known Uh, People who've gone from being, for example, paralegals or patent agents and then moved on to become an attorney into that corporation as well. Um, So all kinds of different ways to use your law degree without going directly into the firm route.
1: What do you say to the law student who's like, I really want to be a law
2: professor? Um. That is definitely possible, right? Um, so one of the ways that you can be a law professor earlier in your career is to commit to teaching legal writing or to um, most courses have um, clinic programs or also um, some I've, some schools call it legal rhetoric or legal thinking or legal reasoning. And um, and I'll open up programs to recent graduates for that as well. So that, I think, is one way that you could get into being a law professor very early on. I do know law professors who never had any firm experience whatsoever. Um, but I would say that most professors have had some firm experience or um, uh, at least a little bit of time out of law school, either um, as clerks or in in a firm or uh, as government attorneys, but um, just a little bit of time beforehand.
0: And for those students who might not want to practice law at all after graduation, what are some career paths that are JD preferred?
2: You know, if it's JD preferred, um, I think it's more that the employer prefers that there is a JD um, because um, I, I used to tell my students um, that it's not really the JD at that people are hiring; it's that the the way of critical thinking, um, and reasoning that you, that law school gives you that people are looking for that. That would be a way of taking a look. If you've got some, um, business experience, then that would be one thing to look at is, um, if you've got some corporations that will say JD preferred, um, or business, but honestly, if, if you get through law school and you realize that law school isn't for you, or that being a lawyer isn't for you, then um, it's it's kind of a great time to figure out what is for you, right? I, I have some friends and acquaintances who have gone from being lawy- like gone from law school to go on to MBA programs and go and um, pursue some aspect of business that's not in legal aspect of it, but more the business or the marketing or human resources or another aspect of business that does not have anything to do with, or it has something to do with the legal, but it, it's not legal focused, for example. I have friends who, um, have gone from their law degree and they've said nuts to this and I'm going to go be a doctor. So, um, and gone back and become medical doctors. So it's all, it, it, is a matter of knowing when, um, kind of knowing internally the difference between I'm going to do this because it's training for the next step of what I want to do versus no, this really doesn't feel like something that I want to pursue.
1: So what are some of your tips or strategies for, you know, trying to under, wrap your head around what to do with your career you know, whether basically your tips for long-term career success, you know, how do we keep that longevity, you know, even if we do sway and change our mind on what we're going to do throughout our career?
2: Well, one thing that I would definitely say is um, what are you passionate about? I would hope for everybody who's listening that you are able to, listen to this and say, and ultimately get a career that doesn't feel like work, right? Um, And that's one thing I loved about um, being a professor is that when I would wake up in the morning, I would not feel like I I was going to work. I was like, oh, I get to go teach today. Um, And there's a difference, right? And, And so finding what that is, is really key. It takes some people a long time to figure out what that is. Um, but generally, I would say you did go back and see what you majored in in college. What did you think that you were passionate about before you got into law school and figured out um, and, and got swayed by big law and student loans and, and everything? Um, because almost everything, there is a legal aspect to. Um, and there is something that you could be doing. Um, the other thing is that it is a path, right? You are on a career trajectory at this point. Um, and so where, whenever you are um, in one job, you should be thinking about, okay, what am I, what is going to be my takeaway from this job? Um, what am I learning? Um, and actively am I learning? Um, because once you have stopped learning at that point, then it's time to come on and find something else. Or, or, um, if you're satisfied with where you are and that's your end game, then that's great. Um, but there are very few people who get the perfect job right out of law school. right um so um especially when you are going for something and you've got a goal in mind but you can't get there quite yet what do you need your training to be um from this next job that you are going to have um and I think that's a a good thought um to keep in the back of your mind I love that I think that's good for law
1: students as they intern, especially too, just to be thinking that. And I think too, so many of us forget why like happiness, you know, in law school, the joke, right? It's just so soul sucking sometimes. And I think reminding yourself what you're passionate about, the things that you really enjoy and you love are good for your mental health. But like you said, help you to find the career path and the trajectory that allows you to wake up in the morning and be excited to go to work.
2: Yes. Um, It's really kind of key because um, if, when it, when it feels like drudgery um, then it's not good for anybody. Right. Um, And the thing is there are, there are people there who it's not going to feel like drudgery for every position that's out there is not going to be a drudge for everybody. Um, And, So if it's not a good fit, then, um, I mean, and I, and I completely understand the need to pay bills and the need to pay off student loans and things like that. But if it's not a good fit, then just keep that in the back of your mind that, um, you know, there will be other things out there.
0: Yeah. I think that's definitely something that, you know, us three L's as we enter the job market soon, it's, you know, daunting to think about that first job. And a lot of times it's, you know, is that going to be the job for the rest of my life, you know, but it's, it's good now that it's just reinforced, you know, like these are just steps to whatever is the higher goal.
2: Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason it's called practice right? Um, because it's, it's, it's all just practice. It's, um, yeah. you, 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 never get it right the first time.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's something to remember. All right, Julie. Well, tell everybody where they can find you if they want to get some more of your expertise.
2: Sure. Um, my website is at bricelegal.com Um, and, There, We have a team of professionals there who have been doing this for a long time um, for career advice. Um, My name is under Julie Cromer Young, um, which tends to be, I think, um, alphabetically the last one. Um, So that, uh, and it would be great to talk to anybody um, about uh, what your next step is. Um, or could be, right? Absolutely. And we'll make
0: sure to put all of your info and links to Bryce Legal in the show notes. So it's an easy way for everyone to access it. So thank you for talking with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Wow, guys. So now, you know, Um, there's lots of options that are Beyond the law firm as we've learned today. Yeah.
1: And if you are interested or maybe you don't even know yet that the law firm life isn't for you, sometimes you just want to try it out. I get it. That's how I feel. (laughs) And it was really great for her to kind of explain like what actually is big law versus how to find out what might be considered big law in your area. I know that that has baffled me a lot. And living in a relatively small, but also a big city for the state, you kind of just learn like what the area is like for you and who are considered those big firms in your area. And, you know, just looking at the AM 100 list blew my mind. I was like, Whoa, they make so much money. Right. And it it was just interesting to, you know, not only hear what that's like, but also talk with someone who worked at multiple firms like that and just kind of what's expected of you. And like when she was describing, how each firm did it differently. You know, it just really opened my eyes that every law firm is different and you really have to focus on culture and different things that you set as high priorities when you're looking for a firm to land at. All right, guys. Well, it is Thanksgiving week. And we hope that you all have a great holiday. We also hope that you are not too stressed. I mean, it's inevitable in law school, right? But this is basically the point where finals are about to start up we're gonna have to start our engines and get going so we wish you all the best holiday before finals get going and reading weeks and everything like that let us know when you guys are taking finals we want to know and we will talk to you again next week bye bye